Blog Talk Radio. another edition of the brown bag i'm your host michael t brown and as always we promise to give you the conversation you deserve hey follow us on twitter at mt brown or at our facebook or linkedin page under the name michael t brown well today's show it's all about family there is no such thing as a perfect family and if there is when we join it then instantly it became imperfect family comes in many different sizes sizes, and shapes, and we all experience our own challenges and triumphs, and today we want to take a close and in-depth look at some of the challenges that are facing our families and discuss strategies for improving. Hey, Mike, but before we get into uh, another exciting show, I just got to pick your brain about some of your thoughts regarding uh, Nelson Mandela and his passing. Wow. Well, we're talking about... um a great man and there just aren't very many truly great men left in this world and people who commit themselves to a cause uh, to the point of um, thinking of giving up their life for it. But, um, you know, it's really nothing really I could say, but some of the things I've learned from what Nelson Mandela's life has um, sort of played out. Um, there's a quote of from him that um, he says that I've learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. And I've heard wow. some people talk about how he came out of this without being bitter. And, and that proof, that's proof to me that he conquered his fear, he conquered his anger, and he made this thing into what he would have it to be to fulfill his purpose in his life. And I just think that's just amazing. What more can a man do? You know, that's powerful that you say that, Mike. And it's my hope that we don't um, make our great leaders so standoffish and put them on such a pedestal that we don't learn the lessons from their life. And I hope that, you know, with all the, the celebration and the remembrances going on uh, around such a great man, that we'll take those lessons and run with them. So I thank you for sharing that. Let's get into our show. We've got a very, very empowering young man joining us today. Why don't you tell them all? Why don't you tell our guests uh, all about him? Pulpits, playgrounds, sometimes prison cells, and media publications are the places where you're likely to experience the presence of Reginald Williams walking in his purpose. Recognized and credited with being an ardent advocate for men, Mr. Williams' personal mission is the restoration of families, and he believes this occurs with the resurrection of men. Williams proclaims, if you want to heal families, start by encouraging and educating men to boldly occupy their protective positions. 
Williams' calling to heal families is evident in his role as lead facilitator at Adams House, a Prince George's County reentry anger management program, where his influence has positively impacted the lives of thousands of men during the past seven years. His spirit of transparency, complemented by his demand for men to be authentic, connects him to his clients in a unique and transforming way. Along the Eastern Seaboard, Mr. Williams is frequently asked to lecture on issues affecting fathers, men, and marriage. His reach is beginning to expand beyond those current borders. Mr. Williams sits on the advisory board of the Winning Fathers Initiative, and his influence is being felt by a populace of the nation's future leaders, the African-American and Latino male students enrolled in the Diverse Male Student Initiative at Prince George's Community College. A certified marriage and relationship educator, Mr. Williams, along with his wife, Peachy, serve as the co-founders of Marriage Nectar, a marriage and relationship entity whose focus is strengthening marriages for the purpose of building families and impacting communities. Mr. Williams, an award-winning editor and journalist, has served as a former managing editor for Gospel Today magazine and editor of the Washington Afro-American newspaper. He has built an impressive journalism career covering beats from Capitol Hill to Hollywood. Reginald Williams, welcome to the Brown Bag, sir. Fellas, what is happening today? <laughs> hey, man, we are so excited to have you on. We've got so much to talk about and a lot of the important work that you're doing. But, Reggie, I, I've got to pick your brain first on um, some of your thoughts regarding Nelson Mandela with his passing this week. I know you've listened to a little bit of what Mike and I had to say. What are some of your thoughts? Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> when I received the phone call that he had passed, it was actually my wife who had called me, and I happened to be uh, on my iPad watching this PBS documentary called Poverty. And Poverty talks about how um, people in power, the political forces, come together to create laws to keep the rich rich. And... Um, it is, this is such a uh, has such a, a, a grip on today's society with you know folks losing their homes and people not working and things of that nature. And when you think about apartheid, you think about that same kind of grip. And as Mike said, you know he was committed to a cause, man. He was he was he was committed to bringing down this thing called apartheid. You know he was. Uh, I, I think about him as a founding member of a youth league and and, and being you know an anti-colonial, um, being involved in anti-colonial politics. They they said that he was uh, you know he created a defiance campaign. You know uh, he was uh, persecuted prior to going to prison for treasury um, or tried to be persecuted. You know and they said he led a sabotage campaign. So this was a man who was who was committed. And and as Mike said. Um, he wasn't bitter because one of the yeah. things I remember him saying um, in prison was that, you know, being in prison didn't break his spirit. It made him more determined to do what was right to, to win the victory. And he said that while he was in prison, he didn't brood about it, man. He, he got himself involved in reading and writing, and these things occupied his mind. So, you know, when I look at that man, he, uh, he didn't have the aura of a Martin Luther King. You know, he wasn't that type of eloquent speaker, man, but his presence, man, it was, it was just real. You know, it's just a real, and and we just have you know to 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 know that we've had an opportunity to be to be around during his time and see some of the things that he does. Like you said, we don't want to put him on a pedestal, but at the same time, we want to know the fight that he fought and and, and be mindful of it and take that on as we move about. You know, Reg, I'm glad you you shared that, and I I really mean that. You know, I think sometimes, I mean, we revere our leaders, and and we should, you know. Um, recognize their contributions, but I don't want them to be so, you know, um, elevated that we say, well, you know, they're so extraordinary that mm-hmm. I couldn't possibly mm-hmm. do what they do. You know, when really the, I think many of the lessons that I take from Mandela is, you know, yes, you can do it, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes we talk about, you know, the 27 years as if, you know, okay, he, he spent 27 years in jail and then he just came out. But I saw something on TV the other day where he was talking about how he was strategizing during those years. Mm-hmm. You know, how Absolutely. he was studying, how he was educating himself during those years. And it was interesting when he came out uh, in, in this documentary that I saw, um, they were talking about how he went against 
the popular opinion to, you know, to many were not calling for reconciliation. Right. But he used his greater wisdom and judgment and said, you know what, we've got to reconcile, we've got to forgive. So that lesson in forgiveness is definitely one I take. Powerful, powerful. And, I, Mike, I, I just got to say this, man. I, you know, a lot of times you'll hear people and they'll make claims about what, you know, Mandela's supposed to do or, or, or Martin Luther King or Oprah Winfrey or Jay-Z or Michael Jordan right, right. or whoever. And I say, well, but what are you doing? You have that same power. Yeah. It, it may not be at the level or at the stage that an Oprah Winfrey does, but you have that same power. And if you just go to your neighborhood or to your school or to your church or wherever it is, you can be that same person. So you're absolutely right. We Mandela is us, and we are he, and we have to do yeah. the same things that he did. And and I love when leaders do that, and he certainly did that. He was a he was a humble giant. Yeah, and, uh, that's powerful. Well, Rez, t- tell tell our listeners about where that fire in your belly came from. Uh, obviously, you're out doing a lot of important work. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. How did it get started for you? Tell us a little bit about your childhood and how it led you to where you are now. Wow, wow, wow. Well, I, I, I am, I'm, I'm was born in New York, but um, I was raised on the tobacco fields of North Carolina in a little small town called Chabra, North Carolina, which is midway between Fedville and, and, and Wilmington, North Carolina. And it was on, um, you know, during that time growing up, you know, uh, a rural uh, farming town in the 60s, um, we didn't have any material wealth, man, but what we had was uh, a wealth of uh, spirit and a wealth of community. I didn't realize at the time of growing up that there was a palette that was being created for me and there was brushstrokes of, of community that was that I was being shown. And I didn't understand that. And what I mean by that is that I, I remember uh, vividly, uh, I don't have a whole lot of vivid memories. I'm going to be honest with you, Mike, I forget most stuff, but I have vivid <laughs> memories of uh, people, you know, again, as I said, poor in terms of material wealth but I would see they would have a little piece of land on their property and they would grow something. You know, Miss Mary might grow okra and and, and corn and, you know, uh, collars and somebody else would grow something else. And everybody would take what they needed, but then they would pack up the rest. They would go around to the community, man. They would give, you know, give somebody this and give somebody that. And, wow. And, uh, and I would, I remember, again, you know, not coming from a wealthy community, everybody didn't have cars. But those who had cars, they wouldn't go to town without stopping by somebody's house and picking them up to see, you know, to take them to town so they can get what they need or at the very least stop by and saying, can I – can I pick something up? And so wow. I, I watched these, these brushstrokes of community occurring before me, not knowing the value of them. And then I had a grandfather, sixth grade education, Casey Williams. And, um, you know, back at that time, my grandfather was born in 1908. You know, he had to quit school uh, to, to work on the farm to help the family. And uh, my grandfather was, uh, he was like, uh, um, what was the guy from Do the Right Thing? Ozzie Davis, the mayor. My, my grandfather yeah, yeah. was kind of like the mayor. And um, nothing moved in his community without people coming to see what he had to say about it. And when I say people, I'm talking about pastors and people and PhDs and politicians. What what does Mr. Casey have to say about this situation? And again, when people used to travel to his front porch to have conversations with him, as a kid, I didn't understand. I, you know, I wondered, well, well why everybody got to come see my – I call him daddy. Why everybody got to come see my daddy? But he was showing before my very eyes what community was about and what I was supposed to do, so I have been well, destined to do this. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. You know, um, tell us about um, what family means to you and why it's important that we – achieve family success because oftentimes when we talk about success um, sometimes family success is not mentioned up near the top tell us a little bit about what family means to you and uh, family success well again I, I go back the grandfather I was talking about was my paternal uh, grandfather's my father's father and um, you know uh, d- just watching how he influenced people uh, in the community, watching how there were things. I had a conversation, well, not a conversation, I was doing a workshop about three weeks ago, and we were talking about the qualities of a man. 
and I had mentioned something along the line that you can't you can't sell drugs and be a man or something to that nature. And the guy said, well, why can't you know if you if you're selling drugs and you know well, why can't you be a man? And I began to talk about my grandfather, and I t- I began to talk about not being able you know doing something like selling drugs to sully his name. I couldn't live with that. So I look wow. at I look at my grandfather. I look at my mother's mother. I tell this story about my mother's mother all the time. I was 15 years old. We get a knock on the door. My mother and my father come from the same community. Uh, at 15 years old, I get a knock on the door, and it's actually my father's father coming to tell my mother's mother that her eldest child had been murdered. And so. Wow. He comes in and he tells my grandmother that, you know, uh, his name was Swindell. Uh, my uncle was Swindell. He said that uh, Swindell had been shot and murdered. And I watched my grandmother do what, well, first of all, she did what any mother would do. She, would, she cried. And then uh, that's what any mother would do. And then the next thing that she did was she began to pray. Now, that wasn't unusual for me, Mike, because I've seen that woman pray just about every day of my life. Mm-hmm. What was unusual for me was her prayer. She prayed five minutes after learning about the death of her son. She prayed that the soul of the man who had shot her son would be saved. She was praying for, praying for grace for that man. And at wow. 15, again, I didn't understand that. But she was showing me what the power of forgiveness is. So when I think about the things that I do, I have to honor those names, those people in my life, and that's what family is to me. We, you know, my 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 mother was uh it was seventeen of them. My father was fifteen of them. So you know, I got a huge family, and we, <laughs> you know, we got some crazy folk in the family, but we're very supportive of one another, and we we help each other to do the things that we're trying to do. That is awesome. That is awesome. Hey, Brad, tell us about some of your work in journalism um, with the Afro American newspaper and with the gospel today tell us about how that work has informed the work that you do now wow you know i i don't even know how i got into well i do know how i got into the journalism business but i didn't take journalism in school you know i graduated with a degree in business um but i i guess i had a gift for writing and i found my way to to the afro and when i you know when i ended up getting to the afro i really didn't even know that it existed uh prior to that i had been a freelance writer i had been writing for some magazines out in california a couple of publications in new york and i had always done this from home so i had never even been into an office but somehow i <clears throat> stumbled into the afro and uh, found out that this is a paper that Langston Hughes had written that, and there's a guy by the name of uh, Sam, ooh, I can't think of, he, he's actually, I can't think of his last name right now, but he's actually responsible. He's the guy who actually brought Jackie Robinson to Branch Rickey and said, this is the guy that you want to break the color barrier. Uh, he's actually in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, I was like, wow, I mean, I never knew that this place existed. And, you know, I became, uh, a, a, at first, a beat writer, you know, covering things down. I think my first beat was things going on in the city. And then from there, I kind of graduated to Capitol Hill. And, you know, in that time, man, I've, you know, Johnny Cochran, um, uh, I can't even remember all the people who I interviewed, but it it just, it it kind of put me in touch with my history, you know, and um, it was just a wonderful experience. And and then from there, I I ended up becoming the managing editor for Gospel Today and having an opportunity to, 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 again, to interview, you know, great people like T.D. Jakes and things of that nature. So the journalism career, the ability to write, has led me to be able to write curriculums and has led me to to write workshops. And, you know, so the writing has transformed into, you know, I'm not no longer into that career, but the the gifts that I learned from journalism, I, I still apply every day yeah thank you for sharing that tell us about your organization family is legacy what are some of the causes that you champion and how do you go about delivering those services um, <clears throat> what we do is uh, we, we have a it's funny because um, you know you and I we both attend Mount Zion Baptist Church and uh, big I, shout I, out a big shout out to Mount Zion <laughs> And um, I've got to tell this story uh, to to tell you kind of how I got where I am today in this. Um, I used to tell people that I had always been in the church because all my life growing up in North Carolina, church was a part of everything that we did. You know, even even playing basketball, (laughs) we played basketball at the church. And uh, and so I, I would always tell people, man, that church has been, you know, I, I've been in church all my life. But right. then I realized when I got to Mount Zion that I had not really been in church all my life. I had only been around it. 
Wow. And I, I got to Mount Zion, and I met a brother named Will Smith, and he was kind of really my introduction into in, into Mount Zion, and he introduced me into to men's ministry. And at the men's ministry, I met a brother named Michael Brown, and you know, <laughs> Michael Brown has always been an advocate. Michael Brown has has gotten under my has lit a fire under me for some of the things <laughs> I've done has not been absolutely correct. And um, and that's where my 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 love uh, I won't say that's where it started, but that's where it was rekindled. My love for yeah. working with men, you know, being in the men's ministry, serving as the director of the men's ministry, and from there I began to uh, do work. People would ask me to come out and do workshops and things of that nature. And my wife, at the same time, lo and behold, was working with some of the wives in terms of some of the issues they were having in their marriage. So we were kind of like these lay people. You know, I'm on the men's side, she on the marriage side, and I would kind of help her there and so forth and so on. And then um, I ended up getting a contract uh, with the county, with Prince George's Community uh, County, to do some work with some kids who had been in trouble. So here I was uh, working with men in one capacity, working with marriages in another capacity, and working with children in another capacity. And before I knew it, I, I I was working with families, you know. And so I went out and began to get myself certified in some things so that I could, you know, say that I, I know what I'm doing. And uh, I, I just found myself that sometimes if I'm, I'm dealing with a brother who's, come, who's coming home from prison, you know, I have to begin to deal with or talk to him or help him understand the family dynam- dynamics of what he's done or hasn't done or how, you know, how it's going to affect him as he comes back. So, I, I, again, man, this is just a, a God-given thing that happened for me. I couldn't have planned this. At all, Mike. I could not have planned this. You know, you talked about um, working with men. Let's let's talk about what I believe to be one of the elephants in the room, and that's dealing with our issue of fatherlessness mm-hmm. and how it affects our community. I, I was actually uh, sharing with a group of men a little bit earlier this morning um, about how I believe the father issue or the, the lack of fathers is the is divine that a lot of the other branches, you know, go off of when it comes to, you know, what ails us in our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're passionate about working with men and helping them to become better fathers. Um, talk a little bit about that and what, why you see such a need to deal with this father issue. Well, let me ask you a question, Mike. How do you understand how do you understand who you are when the root of who you are is missing? Wow. Okay. Wow. Uh, you know, as 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 you know, as I deal with these brothers, as I deal with these young kids, and as I deal with grown men, men who are even older than I, Mike, and I'm 54 years old. And when I began to talk to them and I began to find out where the issue is, it is always wrapped up in a father who was missing. I don't know why he was missing. But he was, but he was missing, and so these 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 important lessons that these kids need early on. You know, I mean, you know, we did a you and I and, and, and Mike Ford, man, we did a program a few months ago called the Tie That Binds. Now, powerful, it was about, powerful. It was, it was it was about learning how to tie a tie on the surface, yeah. but 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 at the root, it was really about one man touching a young boy in such a way that he would know how important he is. And let me tell you what happened, Mike, a couple of weeks after that particular event. I spoke it. I was asked to speak at Howard University, and they were also having graduations at Howard at that, at that same time in a different part of the, uh, the university. And this young boy, he walks in with two elderly women, no man, two elderly women. He had on his cap and his gown, and he had his tie in his hand. And he had to ask somebody in the lobby to tie his tie for him. See, it's these things that are missed when fathers are not around. You get you you get a sense of who you are. You get a sense of where your belonging is, what your responsibility is when you have a father in the house. I tell this story about Navarro Bowman. I don't know if you this brother plays for the San Francisco 49ers. Mm. This brother is from Suitland, Maryland. And this brother grew up with a man that he thought was his father. He cherished this man as his father. Uh, That's all he knew. He had only known this man as his father. But when he found out this man wasn't his father, he was hurt because he wanted to know, well, why didn't my father be my father? Mm. So he went on this quest to find his real father. And when he found him, he he had been murdered. 
you know, and they asked him, they asked him after he had found out who his father was, they asked him, well, how do you feel about the man who's raised you? He says, I love him more than I loved him before because he raised a child who wasn't his own, but I still want to know why my father didn't want me. Mm. So wow. you've got to understand, when we go to prisons and you talk to the men in prisons, black, white, Latino, whatever, 70% of those brothers who are in prison have no connection to their fathers. You know, Rez, the statistics, we can quote them all day. We know how um, important the role of the father is. Let, let me ask you, um, there's, there's, there's real meaning behind those statistics, though, when you, when you look at it on a personal level, and you just shared, you know, a personal story as pertains to when it comes to fathers. And I think one of the things that I've noticed in working with young people is that sometimes – even working with men, I think sometimes men feel guilty if they haven't been there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I can understand that on a certain level. But what I notice in working with young people is the resilience that they have. I've had young people say, you know, you know I just need to kind of put a, put a face with the name, mm-hmm. you know, or find out about my medical history, showing, like, you know, the resilience in them willing to forgive. Now, many, of course, you know, it's, it's, it's more difficult than others. But what I get in a – in a sense, many times is that, you know, I don't want a perfect father here. I just want a father here. Uh, look, let, you know, so can you talk a little bit about meeting men where they are? And I, and I talk with men and say, look, you know, reach out to your kids. I, no matter how long it's been, no matter how long you haven't been there, start somewhere. Mike, Mike, look, and I, and I got to bring this thing back to you in a minute, but, but two things. You're absolutely right. There are some men who can't come to their sons because they know they haven't been there for whatever the reasons are, and there's a shame level, and they don't know how to, how, to, how to bridge that gap. But what I have found out in my work, if you can just get a man in the table or, or a child in the table and have a genuine conversation about him. I, I tell this story again. Uh, I was in the barbershop one day, Mike, and I've got a little boy to my left, and uh, I've got a man to my right. And at the time, I don't know that they're father and son. But then the little boy says, Daddy, and he asked the father a question. The father answers the question. Then the barber's chair becomes empty, and he tells the boy to get into the barber's chair. So the boy goes, and he gets in the chair, he gets his hair cut, and after he finishes getting his hair cut, he exits the chair, he walks over to his father, he grabs his father's arm, and he leads his father to the chair. What I didn't realize when they was having this conversation was that the father was blind. I tell Mm. sons all the time, sometimes it takes the son to show the father that which he cannot see. Mm. And so you have to spend, you know, but again, you have to, you have to help them through that process. And, 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 and so, and so, like you said, there are those who are resilient and say, Hey, I just want to make a connection. I, I, like you said, I want to know what my bloodline is. I want to know who my people are. Uh, others is a little more difficult, but when you have those genuine conversations, uh, it helps. And I can, and I, I am proof of that because I had a father in my life who, as you say, was not a perfect father. But mm-hmm. Reggie Williams wanted his father to be a perfect father. And because oh, Reggie Williams' father wasn't perfect, Reggie Williams was angry. And so Reggie mm. Williams wouldn't talk to his father. And then there was this guy I know named Mike Brown who would say, Reggie, man, you wrong, man. Dude, you wrong. You can't, do, you can't treat your father like that. And it was because of brothers like yourself, man, who helped me, you know, Worked through my anger, and like I said, my father was there. He didn't beat my mother. He wasn't. He wasn't drunk. He 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 provided for the family. But there were some things that he did that I didn't like, and because I didn't like those things, man, I didn't want to work through those things. But I had somebody like you to help me work through those things, and I understand that side of it. So I can kind of identify. I can't necessarily identify with not having a father in my house, but I can identify with being angry with them and 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 having to work through that process. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you shared that because um, I know my, my approach is certainly comes from a perspective of being an imperfect father. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, in that I, I think as fathers, we're all still striving. I look back at some of my boneheaded mistakes, and it's just a reminder to say, hey, you know, um, and, and I, think we're, I think you're helping somebody today, Reg. I hope, I hope maybe that... Uh, um, a single mom or maybe a dad who has been disconnected from his family, maybe a light bulb is going off and said, you know what, nothing's going to stop me from trying at least to reconnect 
with a child that I have out there. I hope right. somebody is saying, you know, um, maybe I can start somewhere. Maybe I'll just send a text message and then s- just see, hey, you know, happy birthday, or, you know, to just let them know I'm thinking about you, or, or to acknowledge that you're alive. What that does in the life of a child, I don't know sometimes that adults, you know, really get it. I've mm-hmm. spoken with children who said stuff like me, said things like this to me, Rez. They said, you know, I started to get on the highway and walk towards where my father was out of town. Ooh. Yeah, I had, a, I had a girl tell me that. She said, you know, I'm not getting the answers that I need at home. I've got to find him. I might, I might just start walking and just start looking. You know? So when we talk about how deep-seated this is in children, um, it's powerful. You talked about it earlier about how, you know, parents put an imprint on their children. Talk a little bit about your work in dealing with young people and the importance to build self-esteem in young people. The, the, the one thing I find, Mike, man, and, and, and like, you know, the majority of the young people that I, that I work with, uh, <clears throat> they do have a criminal record at this point. The one thing I found out is that, Although they have a criminal record, they are not criminals by any stretch of the imaginations. Mm. And, and that what happens is, is that when you sit down and, again, uh, they're angry. A lot of times they are angry because daddy's not around. You know, that's, and I'm not trying to blame everything on daddies, but sometimes I'm just telling you what my experience. A lot of times they're angry because daddy's not around. But when you sit down and you begin to have these genuine conversations and allow them to express themselves in the manner that they want to express it, I, I don't care if you curse or, or right. I don't care what you do. Let's just have a conversation. And, and, and I find that, man, they, they are just the, 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 the root of who, the spirit of who they are is they, they have a whole lot of love, man. But you just got to get them to a point where they begin to see a, that that there is another side, that there is another angle. I often ask, I, I asked one kid, uh, and I may have, I may be kind of strand from the question, but I asked one kid one time. I said, uh, if you were given a test at the end of the year on some stuff that you never were taught, how would you feel? And he said, I would think that the, the, the teacher was trying to, you know, mess me around. I said, well, you know, maybe your father doesn't have that information either. So wow. let so let's 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 not let's not let's not uh, let's not beat them up. Let's figure out a way to reconnect with them. But uh, I, I just find with the kids that I work with, I love them, man. I, I love them because, man, you know, genuinely, man, they they are just absolutely fantastic people. Kind of caught. You know, kind of got caught up in a bad situation. Um, you know, uh, because of again, because they uh, they they're a little confused about their identity. You know, in terms of who they are, they're trying to find their identity, and they're moving in wrong directions to kind of identify with that identity. But once you can let them know, you know, kind of say, hey, this right here. This is not your identity. This is your image. So let's move from your image to your identity. And once they begin to understand, you know, the gap in that bridge, they can get it, man. They get it. And, you know, you talk about helping young people find their identity. That's, that's big. And, and I'm glad you talked about your role, you know, in, in dealing with, with church and how spirituality impacts that. Because in many ways, um, let's, let's face it, for a lot of children, that question or that issue dealing with that father or mother or whatever the family situation is um, might not ever be answered or the answer might not be good when you get it. Let's just real, just real talk. You know, um, some people might have to try to move past the father that uh, is no longer living. Right. So when we talk about these things, we're not talking about it in a one size fits all, you know, approach, but more so, I like how you talked about, you know, we've got to meet children where they are. Meet them where they are, man. And, and have enough thick skin to meet them where they are and deal with a little, you know, roughness around the edges. But, but I think that's, uh, that's so critical that you mentioned that. Now, I know one of your passions is strengthening marriages. And many times when you say uh, the name Reggie Williams, you've got to attach peachy, pleasant Williams along with that. That's part of your identity. <laughs> no, that is, Mike, that is my identity, man. People are like, oh, you're peachy, yeah. you peachy husband. <laughs> right. She's probably around the house around there now in your ear. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but having said that, talk a little bit about um, your marriage and why we need to strengthen marriages and uh, some of the important work that you're doing with, uh, with marriages. 
Man, I believe, uh, you know, I, I believe, you know, God said 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 to Adam and Eve, He said, uh, "Be fruitful and multiply." And uh, and I believe that when He said that, you know, family became the institution of everything that God was trying to put in place. And I believe that as a man, that I can't do what I was ordained to do by God without my rib, that being my wife. You know, uh, you know. I, I tell people all the time. I, I say, uh, my wife completes me, and people were like, "Yeah, man, nobody completes you." I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> she does. She does. And well, you know, well, how? I said because there were some things that God gave her that He didn't give me, and I need her to come to me to get that particular thing. I need for her to come back to that space that was taken from me so that I become complete. So for me, you know, marriage and its and its and its and its origin and its blueprint, the way God meant for it to be, is the institution which everything is sprouted from. And, you know, I, I look at my wife and, you know, hey, look, we, we're not talking about, again, we're not talking about, as we were not talking about perfect fathers, we're not talking about perfect marriages. Or right. or my wife, or my marriage is perfect, but it doesn't mean it's trouble-free. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you yeah. know, so I will say it's perfect, but it's not trouble-free. And um, I, 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 I look, uh, I tell, I say this all the time. I say this with my wife. I say it without my wife. The reason why I can continue to be married to my wife is because I'm I have a relationship with my God. Because if mm. it were left up to Reggie, Reggie's flesh would say, as soon as she pissed me off, man, I ain't got to deal with this nonsense. Yeah. And so yeah. and so and so, marriage for me, man. It's it's. It, I became a look. Let me let me tell the listeners this, man. Uh, I had two children out of wedlock, and when I, you know, I, I had two children out of wedlock. I was a single father with the help of my mother. You know, my mother was very instrumental in helping me raise my kids. Homeowner, mm-hmm. business owner, you know, somewhat respected in the community. I thought I was doing man things. But it was uh, when I got married that I figured out that I re- that's when I really began to understand I had to do man things. Because when I had to lead a wife, and I had to lead a wife in such a way I couldn't tell her what to do. I had to be able to show her through my example the things that needed to be done. And, and subsequently, uh, uh, you know, she didn't always follow my lead. But, but, but again, Mike, I, I just I don't know if I can explain just how imp- God said God said that 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 He bring you together, and that no man bring you apart. He said one mm-hmm. man, one woman. You know, He says be fruitful and multiply. And if that is His rule, then that's the rule that I gotta live by, man. Man, that is awesome. That is awesome. Hey, Reg, we're gonna pause and. Um We'll be right back after this. Pulpits, playgrounds, sometimes prison cells. How is your marriage? For some, the first thing that comes to mind is sweet. Hmm, not there yet? Well, believe it or not, this could be your answer too. To make your relationship sweeter... Maybe your marriage just needs a little nectar. The Marriage Nectar, founded by Reggie and Peachy Williams, strengthens marriages and matures relationships. Marriage, when healthy, produces innumerable benefits and reverses many social ills. By sowing nourishing seeds into marriages and relationships, the Marriage Nectar helps birth the sweetness that marriage is supposed to produce. Subsequently, they are affecting positive change and regenerating families just like yours. MarriageNectar.com Hey, Reg, I see you and your wife got uh, the Marriage Nectar going on there. That's pretty impressive there, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's her thing, man. (laughs) I, I, I I just support that. No doubt about it. I, yeah. I enjoyed that. Hey, Reg, help our audience out. Um, what are some values that stand out to you that are essential for creating a positive family atmosphere? Um, wow, that's a great that's a great question, Mike. Um, uh, whew. 
Well, well, ooh, Mike, that is a, that man. You kind of knocked me off my feet with that one, man. Um, one of the things I, I think is important is 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 um, one you have to understand um, that family is important. Uh, sometimes I don't know whether or not people know just how important that it is. So I, I think the first thing uh, is always just to understand how important it is. Um, the second thing that I, I think is really critical is that. Um, you have to set a goal for yourself in terms of uh, what you want to achieve for your family. I, I think oftentimes or too often that um, people within the confounds of their family are not intentional about mm. how they live and what they want to achieve. And so, like, again, I, I had said earlier that I was, you know, I had two children out of wedlock, and so quite naturally having children out of wedlock, I didn't plan for these kids, and so therefore I wasn't intentional initially. Yeah. You know, but at some point I had to become very intentional uh, about my children. So I think that in, in, in your family you have to begin to uh, be intentional and figure out what it is that you want to achieve and what legacy do you want to let uh, you want to leave. Um, Can I pause next... you right there? Sure. That, that, that's good. You you <laughs> sound like you. What I'm hearing is have a vision for your family. On our jobs, in our volunteer organizations, you name it. We create vision and mission statements. Mm-hmm. So to hear you talk about creating a vision for your family, man, that's powerful. What I see, Mike, again, you know, I, I, I do a lot of uh, workshops revolving around life skills, anger management, things of that nature. And what I find is people, uh, you know, like if, if you were stuck in cement and the wind blew, it might move you a little bit but you would still be firm in your position because you would be wow. stuck in cement. But if you were just a napkin on the ground on a windy day, it would take you wherever it wanted to take you. And so people oftentimes are not firm in who they are and what it is that they want to achieve for their lives and their, and their family lives. And so, I'm, you know, I, I think that you have to have that, that vision before you. Know what it is that you're trying to do. And then connect to people who have that same vision because we live in a relational, relational society. God meant for yeah. us to be related to one another in one form or another. It, it, it's funny, you know, be, you know, when we begin to talk about marriage, you know, oftentimes you hear people who have uh, negative comments, and they, they, they go to the worst-case scenarios. They find somebody, Kim Kardashian, who's been married 72 days and gets divorced, or somebody who's been married multiple times. But rather than go there, find those individuals, man, who have done it and done it the right way. Wow. You know, uh, and, and so, uh, again, you know, being intentional, uh, finding those individuals who can help you na- navigate those those roads that you're going to go on that are going to be filled with some potholes and some detours, who can tell you, baby, that ain't even nothing, man. You, you won't mm. even know about that 10 years. From, you won't even think, you know. So, so, so these are the things that we have to do. I, when I look at, when I look at, again, my family and I go to my family tree, and I go back uh, as far as my grandparents, and I can look at my grandparents' sibling and how everybody in that, and, and, and you know, all their siblings were married. And then I can look at my aunts and uncles and most of my aunts. I only I think there's only been one or two aunts and uncle, aunts of uncles who did not get married. And, you know, I think there's only like one divorce in our family. And so, you know, I can look at my family tree and I can say, okay, this is, this this has been the plan for my family, yeah. and I've got to I've got to continue to live it out and even take it to the next level. So I don't know if I answered your question or not. No, I, that, no, that and especially I'm glad you raised that last point of you know having mentors. I know I look back at, at my experience and this, it, it it can make a huge impact having people that can sit you down and say, look, son, that's not the way to do it, right. or you know you need to change this and. People ask me about when I or when I talk about you know marriage. To me, to me, um, it's a huge lesson in forgiveness. Absolutely. We talked about um, you know Mandela's ability to forgive and, and move on. To me, I don't think a marriage will stand strong if you can't forgive one another, get over that stuff, and move on. You know, and I know uh, Mike's been listening. Mike, I want to bring you in on this. Uh, what, what are some of your thoughts or questions as you've been listening in? You know, um, I've been 
married now um, 11 years, and um, it, most people who have heard my story from the beginning, if you just hear how we started, you would think we would have never made it, or if we did, it just wouldn't have lasted long. But I think one of the things that we did do in the very beginning, there was a lot of honest communication. And wow. uh, it, if you were a player and you heard some of the things I said to my wife in the very beginning, you'd be like, man, you're doing it all wrong. But I was <laughs> open and honest, <laughs> really. I, I told my wife at the very beginning, I said, look, at, at my age now, um, I'm coming out of a marriage, and um, I, I realize I like being married. So, you know, if I'm dating somebody, that's my objective. So I'm going to raise the bar. You know, and, and if you're that person that I think that, you know, we could have that type of relationship, I would expect you to expect the same thing from me. And and that's the way I put it. I mean, I'm not out here just playing games and playing the field. And I think a lot of people go out there because they, they look at the dating realm as a game that they have to win. The loser gets hurt. And, and that's the biggest problem, I think, with a lot of relationships, because how do you peel that all away and then find something real? What you really find is the real person after the fact. And, and that's where a lot of our relationships, I think, are in crisis. Man, you know, I, that, that's good. You, you know, Mike, I, I, hear, I hear a lot of people say a lot of what I consider to be very dumb things as it relates to relationships. And, like, for instance, I, you know, one of the things I always hear is keep your relationship private. I have a huge issue with that for, for, for a couple of different reasons. Do you know that many people suffer in silence? You know, many, mm-hmm. uh, many, mm-hmm. many women, abused women, are abused in silence. We, we've had three or four pastors who have committed suicide. They have yeah. suffered in silence. Now, quite naturally, there are certain people that you, you should not have in your relationship, and, and you don't need to be telling them anything. But if you don't have a community of people or a community of somebody who are friends to your marriage, who you can pick up the phone mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. who will say, and you can say X, Y, Z, and they'll say, they'll say something like, well, baby, I need you to tell me the other half of the story. You know, they're mm. not, that, that person's not just going to sit there and listen to your side of the story and, and, right. and, and, and help you. They're going to say, well, you know, well, 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 Mike, what did you do? You know, you, if, yeah. you don't have, if you don't have friends of your marriage mm-hmm. who you can pick up the phone and say, we're having this issue today, can you come talk to us? Well, wow. if you don't have that, when you go when you go down that church aisle, there's family on the left and those family on the right, and you say that basically everybody in that church basically says we're here to protect these people who are getting married. Now we know everybody mm. in that church ain't you know ain't going, but I'm saying don't <laughs> keep your relationship private. Find somebody who is a friend to your marriage, not a friend to not a friend to G or a friend to Mike, but a friend right. to that marriage. Who, yeah. who I can say, Mike, wow. you know you're wrong. Gene, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you're wrong. You know? Yeah. And so having those allies. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of dumb advice that's this given out, man, that, that right. just kinda helps to ruin marriages, man, and relationships, man. I I'll <laughs> tell somebody quickly, man, look, even though we do this, I tell somebody, my wife get on my nerve. But that's my move. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I'm quick, and I'm also quick to don't say, don't go there I about the lateness, Rez. Don't go there about know, the lateness. I know, and, but I'm also quick to say, I know I get on my wife's nerve. Right, you know, right, right. We're right. transparent about who we are, you know, and we don't mind telling somebody the struggles that we have because we know that when we tell them, not only are we helping them, but we're helping us. You know, so you, you know, Reggie, you something. Oh, no, no. I just wanted to say something real quick. Like, Reggie made a really good point because the marriage is separate from the, the two people. The marriage, mm. and it's a natural process, the mm-hmm. marriage is something that needs to be nurtured from the very beginning. And um, when both people respect that marriage and care for it, they can bring it up. And then that same thing revolves after, the, you know, they come together as a family and they raise their children. It's the same thing. The marriage is like the children. And you mm-hmm. have to bring that thing up. And you have to be committed, devoted, and love and respect that separate thing that's away from yourself. And people too often make the mistake of making it about them and what they expect and what they want. That's right. And, and trying to hold up uh, and trying to uphold an image, you know, of uh, perfection or whatnot. And, and Reggie's initials are R-A-W, and I, I, I joke with him because he, he's going to tell you uncut and raw. <laughs> Don't I mean, ask him if a pity pad answer. You're not going to get it. You know, he, he shared about some of the things that I've, I've – talk with him about that have been helpful but i, I got to shout him out too he, he shared something that i'll always remember and he said mike 
sometimes, man, I mean, just when I'm getting ready to lay into my wife, I mean, I'm getting ready to let her have it. He said, it's like the Holy Spirit will tap him on the shoulder and say, Reggie, did you do this, that, and the third? Did you, did you <laughs> pack your eyes and cross your Then he'll just kind of, well, let me let me back off a little bit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> man. Finder. Check, check yourself, too, you know. Hey, yeah, yeah, Temptation says, uh, what, don't throw a brick in the glass house or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Many a times I was getting ready to lay into her, and God said, yeah, you write about what you're getting ready to say, but you, but you got some stuff in your trunk, and you need to clean that up. And I couldn't say nothing. Man, that's, that's, that's good. Reg, uh, we got a few minutes left here. I, I want to ask you about how um, – I want to go back to the spirituality component that we talked about earlier. Um Talk about your walk with God and how spirituality has affected your your family life. Because as we talked earlier, you know, um, no family's perfect, and we have challenges and we have issues. How has spirituality helped you navigate through some of your issues that you've seen in families? I, I tell brothers all the time, you know, I say, you, you ever get ready to do something that you know is wrong and you get that little voice but you go ahead and do what you know was wrong, and then when you get caught, you say, man, I knew I should have. Nah, so, no, something told me. No, something didn't tell you. <laughs> something, something didn't tell God, your spirit was talking to you. And so for me, I recognize that oftentimes if I listen to me, I'm going to get it wrong. Wow. But if I'm listening to my spirit, then it usually leads me right. But now the question is, what spirit am I being led by? Mm. See, oftentimes I hear brothers say, well, I'm spiritual. And I say, okay, that's cool, but what spirit are you being led by? And so for me, you know, I, I look at it like this, and I, and I, I shouldn't say argue because I really don't argue the Bible, but I, I kind of debate this point. You know, you, you buy a cell phone and they give you a manual with that. You buy a new car and they give you a manual with that. You buy a, a television, they give you a manual with that. And when God created us, he gave us a manual in which to live by. Wow. I need to understand what my creator is saying for me. Mm. in order for me to move in the right direction. And yeah. so, you know, while I can't always say that I'm in the Word as much as I need to be in the Word, but I can say that the Word is in me because even in those days and those times where I get away from sitting down and reading the Word, I've got enough in me to keep me moving in that right direction. I have to, have, I have to move by the Spirit because I'm telling you, Reggie, he dumb. Reggie, mm. he makes some stupid moves. But when he's being led by the Spirit and he follows that Spirit, usually he gets it right. Man, that is good. That is good. Hey, Reg, tell us about some of your vision and what you want to see happen in communities and, and in families and just some, some ideas that you've got that, that maybe uh, you're, you're, you're toying around with or you've gotten a, in, in a You've got on the agenda. I always joke with you, Reg. What you working on now? I know you always got something to sleep. Always. So just talk a little bit about you know. Just inspire our audience. What do you see for people, and what we can do, and, and some of the ideas and visions you have. What, one of the things that I'm 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 doing right now is um, um, a part of my company. I'm turning into a nonprofit, and what, what my vision is is to create businesses through the nonprofit so that when brothers come home from prison, they don't necessarily have to go look for jobs, that we have created a vehicle for them to, to, to be employed through the employment that I set up. Um, mm. Um, I, I, you know, um, you know, from lawn care to 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 uh, uh, doing um, um, contracting, home contracting. So right now, I'm putting some of these things into places right now. Uh, one of the things that I'm I'm struggling with trying to do right now, but but at some point I'm going to to do it, is uh, I want a series of houses, uh, and 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 I'm calling them a piece of piece. And what these houses are is they are transitional houses from when these brothers come home for prison that they can come. Because right now, like in Prince George's County, there are no houses. You know, when brothers come home, if they don't have family to come home to, they're basically homeless. Mm. 
Uh, so I'm trying to create. You know, I'm, I'm, I, it's been a struggle trying to do this, trying to figure out how to navigate the things I need to navigate to do this. But you know, I'm hoping that in, in the next five years or so, man, that I will be able to have a few houses, and again, they'll be called a piece of piece, and they can come in. And uh, I've got an, I've already written the curriculum for what they for when they get there. And then um, the the last component that that I'm doing is I am trying to create an academy for young boys. Wow, that is awesome. How can people who want to get in contact with you or that might want to help you or they might want to have you come and speak to to them or do a workshop, how can people reach you? Well, you could always call my office, and I'll give you that number. It's 301-485-9624, or you can email me. And it's contact at familyislegacy.org. That's C-O-N-T-A-C-T at familyislegacy.org. You can always check out the website also at familyislegacy.org. Awesome, awesome. Um, Reg, in order for families to thrive and flourish, what should we be focused on? I want to just give you just a few moments here to just share your heart uh, and, and just speak to our families that might be hurting or might be struggling, what would you say to encourage them? Man, th- the one thing is move outside of that darkness. Man, there's somebody somewhere out there who understands what your situation is. There's somebody out there who, who wants more for you than you even would believe to know. And so you just have to, you know, the, the other day, Mike, um, I, I got this young brother who's living with a, a girl. Uh, they have a child, and they, they've been struggling back and forth. And, uh, you know, she's been kind of threatened, having him put out and not being able to see his daughter. But he said to me the other day, man, he said that he's going to continue to fight to 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 have his family, and he was going to continue to fight to be in his daughter's life because there's a guy who comes to one of our workshops, and every time he comes to that workshop, he has his son with him, and he said he looks up to that guy. Mm. He says, "Man, I look up to that guy." And then the other day, what happened was something happened with um, the kid who who has the daughter. And he went and he spoke to the guy that he looked up to, and they helped one another. And, and, and so what I'm saying to you in essence is, man, there are people out there who really care for you. If, if nothing else, call me. Call, call wow. me up, man. We, we can have a conversation, man. But I'm telling you something. When, you have, when your family is intact, man, your life is intact. Man, that's great advice. That's great advice. Hey, Mike, I want to bring you back in here. We only got just a few minutes, but I wanted to allow you to, uh, say a few things or any questions or comments for our guest? No, really all I can say is um, Reggie is the man. You know, um, I've had him on the show a number of times, and, you know, I'm so proud of what you do. I, I'm just so happy there are people out there who are committed to the cause the way that you are. And, um, you know, it's leaders like um, Reggie Williams that, that are, you know, the game changers, you know, and um, the, the focus he has and the various areas that will impact families and people's lives are, are just pinpoint. They're pinpoint. And um, I, I just can't say enough about this guy. Man, look, you brother, both of you guys have been so supportive of me. You know, when I had the tidy binds, man, you guys were there. Uh, I, I couldn't, truly, I could not do this. I could not do this without you, man. I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to have a vision and you're trying to do something and then you reach out to somebody and they say, I got you, you know, because mm. truly, you know, this is, this is a vision and this ain't even about me. You know, this is this is a, as kind of like we were talking about the marriage man. This is about trying to get folks in the place that they need to be. We have too many of our young brothers who are in prison. We have too many young girls who are getting pregnant. Too many young boys who are impregnating these girls and carrying on. Not you know they 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 call it a they say um it's a um what do they call it? a cycle? I don't call it a cycle. I count it, I call it a countercultural. You know, mm. we're carrying on a countercultural behavior, man, that's devastating our communities, and we got to do something different. Wow. Empowering, empowering. Hey, Reggie, we thank, thank you for being on, man. We really appreciate it. My pre- hey, look, my pleasure, and that your intro, man, that intro is like that. 
Can I buy it somewhere, man? Can I buy it somewhere? Hey, you can cop it on iTunes, bro. <laughs> I'm going to get it, man. Hey, thanks bro. for being on. We appreciate you. And don't get weary and well-doing, brother. Keep keep grinding. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate you. All right. All right. Our close thought, family really does matter. Sometimes we expect others to be finished products while we give ourselves grace to evolve. Let's all extend grace and love to our family members. Remember, things don't have to be all good in order for it to work for our good. Until next time, love God, love people, and live on purpose. Come on.